Um, this morning, I want to begin with a question, if it's okay. And I think it's a question that we're all going to get right, so be, be encouraged. How many of you have ever faced a trial? This should be every hand. The answer is yes. You live in a broken and sinful and selfish world. The reality is we have all faced trial. And the truth, half-brother of Jesus, James said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because those trials, God utilizes. He takes them and he utilizes them to mature us in his very image. It says that he will perfect us by them. He's going to teach us to persevere by them. That, that the joy that we can truly have is that no matter what we face in this world, which is darkened and doesn't know him, doesn't worship him, for those of us who are called upon the name of Jesus, and we have chosen to walk in his ways in a darkened world, how many of you would say, again, it can be trying, it can be difficult, but the truth is, he says that we can have joy in this, that we can have a smile, because no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, we have this inner strength given to us by the power of God in heaven himself, by giving us his Holy Spirit that dwells us. And that gives us an ability to endure no matter what we face. Amen? No matter what we go through, that we can hold to that. So joy is that God would love you, would love me, mature me, mature you. And he would seek to use even you and me. Love or joy is really just a byproduct of love. God himself coming to be with us and the hope that he would never break a promise to us. This is a hypothetical letter that was written by an author representing God. He said this, my child, when you are suffering, trust me. Trust me to do what's best for you. I measure things differently than you. I want what's best for your soul. What will give you spiritual rewards in heaven. Men measure what is easiest, what is free of pain, what gives them pleasure. I measure what will bring you the greatest joy. Joy that will last. Joy that is based on an eternal reward. Joy that comes from knowing me, God. You see, one of the most important pictures for me in the Christmas story is this little blip that happens. We've, we've seen pageants about it, and we see people dressed up like it. It's always cute when the preschoolers come out, and they're dressed like, you know, shepherds, right? But the beauty of the Christmas story is really found in the joy that comes by God pronouncing the coming Savior to the shepherd. Because during, the, during their day, there probably wasn't a, a profession more trying than the shepherd. Probably Probably not a, a position, which was really important, by the way, but probably not a job more misunderstood than the shepherd. And so their lifestyle, their very being was nothing more than a trial. It shows up in Luke 2, in verse 8, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at the night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them 
gone back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were, ju- which were just as they had been told. Now, this is, this is the beauty of this story right here. This powerful moment right here is that the shepherds could be counted amongst the least on the planet for us. They could be counted amongst the least. I'm going to explain that for us today. What is joy? It is joy. Joy is that God loves the least. I'm going to go ahead and give you all three points right now. We're going to unpack them. That God loves the least, he uses the least, and that God came for the least. So let's look at how God loved the least. He loved the shepherd. Planned to show them that they were, although misunderstood by the world around them, they were understood by him, and he chose to use them. Now, the reason I say they were misunderstood by the world around them the shepherd had a, an inter- a terrible reputation during their day. These were a people that didn't have a position that was disreputable, but they were a people that were not considered trustworthy. They were considered unsavory characters, cast out of society, living amongst their own flocks in the fields, away from people. Here's namely why. The reason they were not allowed to enter synagogue, the reason they were not allowed to attend, the reason they weren't allowed to go into a, um, a trial and give testimony because they were considered untrustworthy is because they, they had one severe problem. Their number one problem was that sheep required care 24-7. And if they were going to care for their flock accurately, that meant that they were going to break the Sabbath repeatedly. And if there was anything that was a severe no-no in the law, it was breaking the Sabbath. If they were going to break the Sabbath, the, the law said if you break any one part of the law, you're guilty of the entire thing. But Sabbath was like a massive thing for Judaism. And so since the shepherds repeatedly broke Sabbath, they were considered untrustworthy, they were considered unsavory, they were considered unholy, and they were sent out to stay amongst their flocks in the fields, really not to deal with people. They formed their own community outside of society. And the beauty of this moment, this picture right here that we just read about, is the shepherds that God revealed the truth. The angel Gabriel shows up and the other angels show up in the middle of the darkness, this glorious picture of light and song and, and picture really into heaven. The beauty of this moment, and these sheep specifically, many theologians believe these were the sheep that were used for sacrifice for the people of Judaism. These are the specific sheep raised to stay pure and spotless for religious activity. So I want you to get that picture and the irony therein. These shepherds are, are outside caring for the flock 24-7, literally having to take shifts just so each of them can, so you can get some sleep. Like, you have to watch and keep your eyes on them because predators are constantly lurking, coming to take sheep, take them out. But these sheep specifically are being raised by these shepherds who are outcast from their own society religiously to raise these sheep for religious practice for the very religion that's cast them off. Amen? 
Define irony. So you're good enough to watch the sheep so we can keep our religious practices because you're going to choose to care for this flock really well and do your job the way you're asked to. It's going to cause you to break the Sabbath and you're going to have to work 24-7 keeping eyes on this very needy, very uh, susceptible creature. And because you're going to do that, we're going to cast you off and not allow you to be a part of our society. Amen? So this person, this shepherd, this individual, incredibly misunderstood by the people around them, but they chose, and there's a choice that's being made. They chose to do their job well and care for their incredibly needy flock and to serve their people Judaism by caring for these flock and keeping them as pure and spotless as they possibly could so that the rest of the people could continue to practice their religious practices, even if it meant they got the backlash for it. Can you consider that? They were so selfless. They were willing to take the reputation. They were willing to take the fact they couldn't attend synagogue themselves and they couldn't go into a court of law themselves and give testimony. They were willing to take that on to serve everyone else. How many of you are grateful that God sees the heart and not the exterior? See, because God also chooses to grow us. See, God saw the shepherd and he saw his heart. He saw what he was really doing here. He saw that he was willing to, even though break the Sabbath, even though unwilling, unable to keep it because he's wanting to do well by caring for the flock in front of him, he's doing so as worship. And he's lifting the needs of his people who have turned their back on him and literally like backhanded him, if you will. Just so their needs could be lifted above his own and he could worship God by caring for this flock that's been entrusted to them. He is lowly in the eyes of his fellow Jewish men. He's lowly. But here's the beauty. God doesn't leave him lowly. God desires and designs, it's so that the first people, the first people on the planet to be made aware that the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the one that they have waited on and been told about, are the first to know that he's arrived, that he has come. And he doesn't just do that. He doesn't just let them know by giving this peering into heaven. He turns them into preachers. Those who are caring for the flock are about to preach the reality that Jesus has come. So he doesn't just love the, the least and love the lowly, cast off by society. He turns and he elevates their status and he gives them opportunity to be used. In a church this morning, I want to encourage you. How many of you are grateful that God chooses to use even the least of us, the lowly? And he doesn't leave us lowly. Verse 10 says that good news will come because it will cause great joy for all people, even the shepherd, even the tax collector, even the prostitute. Hello? Verse 
17 8 says, They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. These people who could not testify in open court, these people who were cast off and not allowed to roam in society, were not present with the people of Israel. They had their own community outside of the city, caring for the very flock that were used by the people in the city. They're outside. It says that though they would not listen to them, their testimony considered liars, unsavory, untrustworthy, they were amazed when the shepherd became a preacher. Amen. So God uses the least. Second point, God chooses to use the least. In this picture, you have the shepherd who shows up at a feeding trough where they see the child wrapped in really menial resources, like this is not prestigious, and it lays as if it is a crib inside of a feeding trough, and they, they show up, these preachers, the humblest, the least likely of all preachers show up to, to witness this, to be affirmed of what they've been told by the angels, and they go and tell the people, and the people are amazed. I want to tell you how much I personally identify with this, okay? When I was coming up, I, uh, I felt the Lord call me into ministry when I entered college. I went to a Christian college. I was there to play baseball, and the least, the least of my plans was to become a preacher. That was not expected. Preachers and those studying to be preachers were, first of all, guys that you know wore three-piece suits, had hair, combed that hair a certain way, you know, carry and tote huge Bibles. And they, they, you know, they, had, they were the part. They were, they were the picture. And for me, I just never saw myself being that part. I wasn't like them. I wasn't a kid who was raised in church. My daddy wasn't a pastor. My daddy wasn't a preacher. I wasn't like these people. And so I felt and I argued with God for over a year and a half There's no way that you would call me to preach because I'm not like that. And he said, that's exactly why I've called you to preach. Read the story of the shepherd. So here's what I did. As I wrestled through that year and a half of like before accepting the call, before I had that moment with God where he's like, look, look at the shepherd. I I switched majors I did what you normally would, you know, like I was a business major who decided, you know what, I'll just like switch to education and I'll become like the greatest volunteer in my church. Maybe that'll scratch this itch that God keeps prodding at my heart. And that wasn't enough. And then I ended up going into communications and getting a degree in public relations and PR where you learn about how you, you pronounce and you, how you share with the world You communicate the heart behind not only governments but businesses and you show the world like how they receive people who are dignitaries and how heads of state start to communicate with one another. Can I just say to you, in studying PR and in reading the Christmas story, this may be the worst PR campaign on the planet by human standards. You have the greatest historical figure to ever show up in the history of mankind and dignitaries aren't put on notice, heads of state aren't made aware, palaces aren't presented and ready to receive him, he goes to the shepherd 
And those who were lowly and the least were targeted and then turned into messengers. The most influential Judaism, the high priest, the Sanhedrin, the Levites, these individuals, the religiously elite who had cast off the shepherd, were not the ones who were made aware. In fact, the most despised of their society were not only the ones that got to peer into heaven because they had a heart that was pure and sought to do what was right, they would be the messenger to announce the arrival of the Savior of the world, the Messiah of all Judaism, the one that they'd waited on. Hello? Amen? I'm going to ask this again. How many of you are grateful that God uses the least? Like you, like me. The truth is, how many of you in, in 1 Samuel 16 remember that story of how God chose and selected the patriarch David? the second king of all of Judaism, a replacement for Saul, one whom through his lineage would come this very Savior that we're celebrating this morning as we look at the Christmas story and we, we commemorate. The one who was promised to sit on the throne of his father, David. How many of you remember the story of how David was selected, anointed, and appointed as king? Samuel goes into the city of Bethlehem has a conversation with the people there. Jesse is called. All of his sons with him. And Jesse parades in front of Samuel, the prophet of God, who is there to anoint the next king of Israel. All of his sons, all, beginning with the oldest, who looked the part, sounded the part, was the part by human standards. And then we read those all important words that God doesn't look at the exterior. God doesn't look at the outer. God doesn't look at things the way that man does. He looks upon the heart. And so when, when Samuel's not satisfied with any of the brothers paraded in front of him, he goes, do you have another son? Is there another? Is there someone else? And Jesse goes, well, there's the youngest, but obviously he doesn't so we didn't bring him. We didn't invite him. He wasn't brought to the anointing party. Someone had to stay with the sheep. Someone had to watch our flock. They require 24-7 care. I don't know if you know that, Samuel. But someone has to stay with them. And so he's out there in the fields with them. And Samuel goes, okay, so go relieve him. One of you who's not the guy, go watch them. And now we want him to come before us. I need to see David. And the moment David comes, the least likely, the one, the one who wasn't invited to the party, the one who stayed and cared for the flock well, happy to do so, by the way, comes and Samuel goes to Tim. This one. This is the next king of Israel. It is upon this one's shoulders that the promise of the Messiah will come through this Davidic line. It is here in this man. He is chosen as a patriarch of all of Judaism, and he is the choice king of Israel by God himself for having a heart like God's who was selected from the fields. I want to say that again. David was chosen from being with the flocks amongst the field. Who was selected in the story when Jesus enters but the shepherd who was pulled from the flocks amongst the fields to be the messenger to tell the people the one who will sit on David's throne is here. Amen? 
the truth that God loves us, is with us, is healing us. It's the power of the Christmas story, and it's where we find our joy. No matter what trial we may be facing. And how many of you do know that Christmas can be an incredibly trying time for some of us? And some of your friends. The joy that God gives you, the power and the strength to endure no matter what you might face. Because God loves the least, he uses the least, and God came for the least. Joy is to be for all people, for you and for me. It wasn't just to be for the dignitary. It wasn't just to be for the religiously elite. It wasn't just to be for heads of state. It was for us. <laughs> that is evidence in the birth of Jesus, how his birth is announced, and even his ministry. Consider who Jesus called as his disciples. So we know that there was a thief, a tax collector. We know that he called fishermen. The, uh, these Though disciples preceded Jesus calling his own 12, these are not the people selected to be disciples in Judaism, okay? You selected the religious elite, the most astute. You selected the most educated, those who had a, a, an acumen, if you will. You didn't select a known thief. You didn't select a tax collector. You didn't select the sinner. And then you didn't spend time with the sinner. Who did Jesus spend his time with? His ministry is found amongst the sinner, the prostitute, the lame, healing the blind, giving hearing to the deaf. You know, it was mentioned this week in his devotional, but I'm going to point attention to it. Scott reminded us on Friday. If you look in the ministry of Jesus, if you walk through the Gospels, would you... I think what you'll find, in fact, I know what you'll find, is that every miracle that you see Jesus perform there was preceded by a problem. If it were the blind, he gave them sight. If it was the deaf, he let them hear. If it were the need for food, he fed the hungry. If they could not walk, he gave the lame the ability to stand up, take their mat, and walk out of here. Hello? Every single miracle you see in Jesus' ministry was preceded by a problem. And that didn't start with Jesus. How many of you remember the story of the Red Sea? Their captures are coming, and there stands a sea, and God parts it. So God is the same yesterday, today, and when? Forever. He's going to be the same for you as he was for them. So how many of you today have a problem? Here's good news. You are a candidate for a miracle. Amen? If he's the same then, he's the same today. Scott reminded us of that this Friday. If you didn't hear that, go back and listen to that devotional. I am so excited that if you face a problem, a trial, a struggle today, the joy that you can have is you just became a candidate before God himself for a miracle. He didn't spend his time amongst the socially elite. He spent his time amongst those who were the outcasts. And he turned them into preachers. And he gave them the ability to share the truth. How many of you have ever felt a little misunderstood? How many of you have ever felt like you intended well, but in practice it just didn't come out right? So people didn't understand you. Maybe that caused you to be a little cast off. How many of you 
know that person who has a tendency to trip up over themselves and they don't really mean to. But they just never seem to fit with what we call the cool kids of society. Jesus loved them and he came for them. Jesus came to those who didn't know but to steal so they could eat. He came for those who could not see to give them sight. And he came for those who were looking for love in all the wrong places. How many of you have a friend like that? Here's the truth. It says, he did this to show you and me that he was for all. And he loves you, even died for you, for me, while we were still sinners, Romans 5, 8 says. Came for you. So, if this morning, whether you're listening on a stream or you're sitting in this room, if you feel like you can be counted amongst the least, can I encourage you today? God loves the least. He is used and continues to use the least. And he came for you, for me, the least. And what he did was in 2 Corinthians 5, it says he turned us into a royal, a, 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 a minister. He turned us into messengers, ministers of reconciliation. In 1 Peter 2, it says that he turned us into a royal priesthood. He turned us, the least, into those who were maybe, maybe in our old life cast off from the religiously elite. And he made us the messengers to carry the truth. Hello? He didn't come looking for dignitaries. He came looking for shepherds. And like these shepherds, he came for you. What are you going to do? This Christmas, if that's the truth, that he came looking for you and for me, and he gave us the truth that he loves the least, he comes to the least, he uses the least, what, what will you say? And how will you say it? Is there joy in your life that you can endure no matter what trial, no matter how cast off you might feel or, or how much cast off you might be, that you get to share the truth and share in the joy of collaborating with the king of heaven and bringing his kingdom to earth? You get to be a co-laborer with God himself as a part of the family of God to bring the truth as a messenger that Jesus has come. And he's been here, and he is here now, present with you and I, as hope. And no matter what we face, he'll always be with us and never break a promise to us. This morning, church, is your message evidenced by joy? And it's the joy that you have in him because of the love that he had for you. How did he love you? I want you to ask yourself something before we conclude this time. I want you to ask, where were you when he found you? How many of you were in the height of being cast off when Jesus found you? Shepherd out in the field with no place to call home, outcast from society. At least even, even if that's only how you felt in your heart and mind. I just don't seem to fit. This morning we have great reason to celebrate because as these scriptures reveal... Jesus didn't withdraw from the needy, reserving himself for the notable. Jesus came for you and for me. And he doesn't require degrees. He doesn't require accolades. He doesn't ask for us to clean it up first. 
There's no accolade or achievement religiously in practice that prepares us more. Listen, church, in the Western world, there is no amount of knowledge that prepares you more to practice his ways, to be known in him. Hello? It's not about what you attain. It's about who you trust. We must simply come to him as we are, and we must simply receive from him what he has for us, which is forgiveness. It's grace. It's love. It's hope. It's joy. Joy that we are valued for who we are, and we were designed as image before we ever were known by this world. But it's also joy, listen to me, it's also joy that we don't stay amongst the lowly. What's the power of the story of Christmas with the shepherd? So they didn't stay shepherds, they became preachers. He didn't leave them amongst the lowly and the outcast. He elevated their status so they could see who he had made them to be in the kingdom. We don't stay as we are. How many of you are grateful that you're not today who you once were? Hello? In your old and natural state, God has brought you to a place of growth within him, and he's doing it while he is present with you. He doesn't leave you to your own devices. Amen? And even though you may go through painful trial to mature you in his image, he's going to be present with you, and he will not break a promise with you. We gain life as we grow in abundance in him. But the beauty of this story of Christmas and the gospel itself is that he does it alongside us, present with us the entire time. This morning, have joy, church. This morning, you get to daily bask in his presence and you get today to become more like him in his loving kindness. This is joy. So as the band is coming back, I want to just give you the byproduct here. We, like the very shepherds of this story, are called to share the joy of Jesus with others. And it is evidenced in how we approach life. <laughs> it's evidenced by the perspective that we have, by how we walk through stuff, even the trying times that we face. James says you're to consider that joy because he's doing something in you. We're to walk through those trying times of joy because God loves us, you and me. He's in control no matter what the circumstance is or how bleak it may appear. And he's making us a reflection of himself. Amen? God wants to show the world himself through you. Through me. Through our love, through our hope, through our joy. And we get to. It's an opportunity. This is not a have to. This is a get to. We get to share and spread the truth of God's love. That he has come. That he chooses to use the least. To love them. And like ourselves. Amongst a world that needs him. Is yet to know him. He loved you. He loved me. He is present with you. He's present with me. And this morning, he desires to use you. Desires to use me. This morning, I'm grateful that the logic that a kid who grew up 
playing baseball from a dysfunctional home, was looking for love in all the wrong places, saw no value within himself, was outcast and cast off from those that functioned in society. Someone who would look at what we would call a functional family with bitterness, with envy, with disgust, because I didn't experience that. And he took that kid and he put him on this stage. This morning, he's doing that in you and in me, no matter how he so chooses to use you, whether in your local pharmacy, gas station, high-rise downtown, on stage playing music. In all we do, church, it is to worship the one who came, who loved, and chooses to continually use the least amongst us, you and me. Father, we love you, and we thank you that Jesus, the truth, is that we are nothing apart from you and your love. So let us live, let us rest, and let us speak of your love with joy this Christmas. It's in your name we ask it. Amen.